Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's a pretty happy podcast, uh, well, seeing as Arsenal have got two wins out of two since we spoke to you last. Um, we're recording this the afternoon after beating Leeds 2-0 in the League Cup. Um, we did. We were going to do one straight after the Aston Villa game, but we thought, seeing as there were two games so close together, we should cover them both rather than leaving Leeds United entirely ignored. And joining me to do that is uh, all the way from Croatia and uh, happily at home at the moment, Anita Sambol. How are you? Hello, hello. I definitely agree. Very happy after the two wins. Much better to chat with you today than perhaps last week after the Palace game. <laughs> yeah, although it's interesting that one of the things we can take out of it is how the very last section, maybe the final quarter of the Palace game was sort of instructive for the approach we took against Aston Villa. Um, you know, true, certainly yeah. we, we seem to learn some lessons there, whether it was the coach or the players or both. Um because certainly, well, firstly, I mean, looking at the Aston Villa game, what did you make of the lineup? Because it was and, and the sort of starting layout, it was a bit different to what we've seen recently. It was so great to read uh, on Twitter what people have been saying. They were all like, "Wow, is that four four two? Oh my god, four four two! Everyone was just so so excited. I mean, yeah, uh, I'm not a big big tactical analyst person, you know. I leave that to Stephen and his YouTube videos. Yeah, it, it was a really great analysis once again from, from Steven after that game. Uh, I thought that the lineup was really great. I was a bit uh, worried how it will look with, without Tierney because, I mean, he hasn't been on top of his, his game when the season started, but still, you know, it's a player that, you know, you will miss, but Tavares really did a fantastic job. And I was glad to see Lacazette finally included. I was starting to think that I forgot about him and, he, <laughs> you know, decided not to use him. And that was a really nice change. Word what this means for uh, Martin Odegaard going forward, but we'll see. <laughs> well, 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 we'll touch on that a bit more as we go. I mean... Obviously, the, yeah, the big change was the shift to something not quite a four four two, but you know, closer to a four four two than we've seen in quite a while. Yeah. Um, and Lacazette um, really being utilised in in a way that suits him best, which is the the second striker that drops deep. So, is he a number ten? Is he a false nine? Is he a centre forward? You choose your pick. But that's kind of where he was most effective, or, or certainly equally as effective uh, for in his peak at Leon as well. Um, you know, we're both particularly when Nabil Fakir got injured and he was sort of playing as a sort of fulcrum, uh, almost like an attacking pivot uh, instead of like the double pivot midfield. And we've seen him do that a lot for Arsenal, but the problem's always been that he's done that and then there's no one actually getting into the box if he's not. Um, whereas this gives us a bit more of what we saw under Unai Emery, uh, the flavour of, of when the two play together. They may not be perfect partners, but they, they do link up well and they do make up for each other's strengths and weaknesses to a degree. Um, and it's always been the battle of, if you do play them both, how do you balance the rest of the team around that? Particularly in a league where midfield dominance is gold dust. Um but, uh, I mean, whether whether this is something that's an epiphany of what we'll see going forward, or whether it was just something that Arteta felt would work well against <coughs> uh, it's hard to, hard to know. Um, but certainly I think it would have been very hard to leave Lacazette out, having seen the impact he made off the bench against Crystal Palace, where he, you know, even though we'd conceded quite soon after he came on, 
uh, quite apart from getting equaliser, just the energy he brought to the situation and the and the uh, the physicality he gave to an, an otherwise passive performance. Um, and we certainly saw that replicated immediately against Aston Villa. But he seemed to manage to bring the rest of the team with him in that game. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's always seems with Lacazette how how big an impact he has in the dressing room overall. I mean, if you just look at how he was celebrating party's goal, I was just like, he was going crazy on the on the goal line there, and just it, it, and everyone talks about how important he is in the dressing room, how he helps younger players and all that. It's really great great to see him get the game time. We all knew that it wouldn't be whole full ninety minutes because we all know Lacazette and his stamina and everything, but still really. Good match for him and good performance against Palace as well, which yeah. made him play this match. And we even saw some of that last night, didn't we, against Leeds United, where yeah. uh, again Lacazette was heavily involved in celebrations of his teammates, particularly Callum Chambers. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the But also, yeah, we, I mean, a lot of the younger players have talked about you know how he's he's offered a lot in, in terms of their development, not just the ones, the obvious ones like Smith, and Saka, but also some of the kids coming up behind. You know, Lacazette's a name that gets mentioned a lot uh, in, in terms of having that positive impact. And frankly, if he, if he puts himself about as he did against Aston Villa, then I don't care if he plays 90 minutes because I wouldn't expect any player to play at that level of intensity for 90 minutes, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. Um, yeah. It really kind of... He was a spark plug, uh, and and he became emblematic, emblematic rather of a of a a much transformed level of intensity to our play. Um, and whether that's you know how much of that we attribute to him, or how much we attribute to others wanting to make up for disappointment against Palace, I don't know. Um, but the way he wouldn't let any of them settle on the ball, you know, his pressing was fantastic. But it wasn't like. Well, it wasn't sort of Erdegaard pressing, which is, you know, obviously a lot better than Ozil pressing, but it's still pressing pressing to hurry rather than pressing to win the ball. And Lacazette was pressing with bite, and he was making sure that I'm either going to get the ball off you or I'm going to give you or I'm going to make you turn quickly into a position where you're not in complete control or I'm going to rattle your ankles. Uh, and, And as we've seen as an Arsenal team on the receiving end of that end of that over many years, that's something which does unsettle players. And there's not been nearly enough of that throughout the squad for, well, for years, if we're going to be perfectly honest, in terms of genuinely putting, you know, threatening pressure on opposition players in possession. And I, and I think when you look at the makeup of the squad and I want your opinion on this, I think that makes perfect sense because if you look at the players we've got in attacking areas and even in midfield to a degree we're a transition team you know we need to be winning the ball and going you know we, we're not we're no longer the Wenger horseshoe of death team or the Emery horseshoe of death team we've not had a go at that as well that we've seen in the past where yes we'll have 70% of possession but we might occasionally get into the penalty area we're very much a case of we want to win the ball we want to go um, yeah, it was very visible against Villa. It felt like we were constantly there, constantly pressuring, pressuring up until the last few 10 or 15 minutes uh, of the second half. And it really looked great. It felt like we are trying to win, if not the ball right away, then the second ball, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's really... And every single player worked, worked really hard on that. 
not only those, you know, like defending or defensive midfield, midfielders, Lacazette, as you said, worked hard on that as well. And it was just really great to see. And I instantly get questions in my head, like, is this just one time off? Is it is it thanks to Aston Villa not playing that well or letting us do that? But it's a step forward from what we've seen, uh, especially during August. It's a completely looks like a completely different idea, completely different team, completely different energy uh, to the team. So let's see what what will bring. It's just like with the good uh, Lacazette performance. I instantly get the question. Oh uh, uh, yeah, it's time for contract negotiation talks, and <laughs> of course he looks good. He plays well, and then I start thinking maybe he's worth the contract extension because because I mean we have always talked about yeah we will sell we should sell Lacazette we have to sell Lacazette it's either sell Obama Young or sell Lacazette who will will go and I don't know I mean yes he did really look great I would just like to see it more you know consistently. Yeah, and and the, and the Lacazette versus Bamian problem is, a, is is one obviously that has been talked to to death uh, here and in many other arenas. And as we previously acknowledged, Lacazette was a player that was bought to fit perfectly into a team that had Ramsey, Sanchez, Özil <laughs> as, as attacking support, and those are all players that would have meshed very well with him. But that that team didn't exist for much longer after that. Um, you know he's never going to be the goal threat of a Bamiyan, but I don't think anyone would would deny that when he's fit, he's a fine player. Yeah. Um, but the issue about his contract is just purely that he's on significant. He's on Champions League wages, uh, and he's thirty. And uh, you know, a bit like what, not to the same level, obviously, but a bit like what Liverpool are going to be having with Mo Salah. You know, mm. you've got a player. I mean, Mo Salah is obviously at a different level and is more important to Liverpool. But you've got a player who is palpably good enough. To play for you, if not necessarily in Lacazette's case, not necessarily every situation. But uh, what kind of money can you give to someone who doesn't, who who has the sort of athletic profile that suggests they're not, you know, someone like Aubameyang is a natural athlete. You know, the way he runs, he's he, it's not quite the Thierry glide, but it's not far off. You know, he's a, an extremely efficient mover. And so you, so that's more sustainable. Whereas Lacazette is effort, and even Salah is someone who you know he's more naturally athletic than Lacazette. But he's someone who his legs are going. You know, he's not gliding. He's he's a whirling dervish in that respect. And uh, there's a, a risk factor involved. So you know, and if I'm Alex Lacazette, am I going to take a one or two year deal on a, on less wages? Maybe, maybe not. Depends what else is on the table. So I think we have to not think about that too much and uh, enjoy what's here for the moment. Yeah, because ultimately, if he stays, he's a good player and will contribute. As long as the wages aren't horrific, we'll be happy. If he leaves, the club will presumably buy someone, which could also be exciting, you know, and maybe they'll buy someone that's slightly closer to the ultimate profile of what we need. Uh, We, We can just hope that we learn from past mistakes when it comes to extending contracts and giving big wages. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have uh, Ivan Gazidis trying to protect his trying to protect his reputation anymore. So <laughs> that one's probably a little bit different. Um, I mean, one other big thing that stood out from the game in terms of the way we set up was the flatter midfield. You know, uh, Sambi Lokonga wasn't thrust into the Granit Xhaka and my fake left back role. Um, 
and I think that made our midfield a lot more able to be competitive and a lot more able to control that central space and a lot more able to support attackers who were pressing because too often Thomas Partey's been left with too much to do. And we've seen it, you know, two or three times this season, you know, when we saw it against Palace, we saw it certainly, um, you know, with Granite Xhaka against Man City, you know, if you if you stick someone in that area on their own against opposition who've got a mobile mid-central midfield, you've got serious trouble. Um, and that's happened too often. And I think it definitely helped stiffen us up. Um but also helped us to be more aggressive. And and Lokonga played like he had a point to prove as well, I think, after after being at fault for the for the second goal against Palace. I thought he put in a a, a, a good driving performance that showcased the the better elements of where he is right now as a player. I mean, what did you make? Yeah, I, th- I think that he mentioned that in the post-match interview that, uh, that he wanted to show, like... Uh, Prove that he's really good enough that it was just one one off thing, and I think that even Mikel Arteta re- reflected on the whole team how much they learned from from Monday to Friday, basically how much changed uh, in the attitude and the approach and everything. Not just obviously it went from from the manager to the to every single player, including the substitutions as well. It was really great to see and really enjoyed that first half so much, like. It wasn't. It wasn't this fun for for ages because, mm. as we all already discussed so many times here, we all, we start well almost every single match, and then it lasts seven, eight minutes, maybe fifteen. We usually don't score. We don't capitalize on that, and then go back to the you know, sitting back or not not doing well or not creating many chances and all all, all that. Now it seems it has been going whole first half and the lots of the second half as well. And it was really fantastic thing to see. And maybe the, the pessimist in me instantly started thinking, will we, this repeat in the next match? So I was a bit, you know, let down uh, against Leeds when it, the first half didn't look nearly as good uh, as that. But then again, it was a completely different team. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, only natural. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll touch on that in a minute, but just sticking with the Villa game for a bit, I mean, one thing that's noticeable is, you know, Arsenal have improved defensively under Arteta, but that's mostly been through holding quite defensive positioning. And this is a game where we were really on the front foot. We really pushed up the pitch, you know, having quicker defenders obviously helps with that. Um, but we were we, we were really playing quite a high line, pushed up high in the midfield, and Villa didn't have a shot in the first half. Yeah, and uh, our, our XG was what two point eight or something like that. Yeah, some say it's two point seven, some say it's two point eight. But basically, we scored the goals that we deserved, you know. Yeah. Um, and Villa had an XG by the end of either one point three or one point four, depending on who you believe. Uh, I mean, a great goal from Young Ramsey for them. Um, yeah, and um, goalkeeper couldn't do anything about it. It was really fantastic strike. No, uh, speaking of goalkeepers. Uh, <laughs> Seems as though Mr. Martinez being a little bit overly vocal in the press hasn't endeared him to the match going fans. <laughs> uh, he got he got a lot of stick, didn't he? Yeah, he did definitely. I mean, he he was a really good player for us, and there were lots of talk talk about. There's still a, some kind of division between fans. Is it was it a mistake to let him go? Should have we kept him instead of Len or something like that? But I think that uh, it felt good. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
the, this match to score three goals behind him and one rebound penalty. Like he he was in tears. I'm not usually happy, you know, to see someone that sad and devastated. But this time I was just like, oh yeah, okay, go give an interview about that. <laughs> yes, there was there was some jerky jerky tweets flying around about uh, about problems in the tunnel as he was rushing to Sky to give a Sky Sports interview about why. <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, the, I mean, obviously, him trying to do his Copper America kidology in the lead up to the penalty didn't didn't endear him any further because he wasn't getting that much stick in the first half. But then after that, after mm. that, the fans really went for him in the second half. Um, I mean, obviously, he was slightly at fault for the Thomas Party goal. He probably could have saved that. A brilliant penalty save from Aubameyang, but. Uh, as ever, Aubameyang is very good at reacting to rebounds, even if they're off his own shots. Um, and um, and the third goal was a bit unlucky for the goalkeeper. You know, it was a deflection which sent the ball the opposite way to which he was diving. Um, but yeah, it's it it's not often we as fans goad opposition players who haven't who you know uh, Adebayo was one thing. That was like yeah. he started it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, or not he started a bit. Like he took a bit of – he f- very publicly f- fought his way out and then took a bit of stick and then up the ante. Somewhere like somewhere Nazareth was easy to have a go at because we didn't really like him when he played for us in the first place. <laughs> he's, just, he's just not a very likeable character for whatever reason. I don't know why he, what he transmits to use in our tetherism. Um, but, but other than that, we, we tend to be quite – quite supportive particularly of players who've won something with us but uh yeah it just shows if you're a bit too mouthy then fans don't don't forget it um and of course the chance aaron ramsdale he's better than you that we're echoing around and throughout the second half uh <laughs> probably probably didn't make him feel any better uh, I, I mean, this match he was two goals better than him <laughs> well it's i mean it's also very strange isn't it that you know for, for Martinez to start crying after, or holding it in his hands and virtually crying after he had the rebound put in the penalty after a save. I mean, that shows you that his relationship with this match was something about just trying to get three points for Aston Villa. Uh, mm-hmm. which, was, which, of course, you know, fans being both smarter than they appear and also at times quite cruel, uh, picked up on very quickly. Um I mean, in terms before we move on to talking about the Leeds game, I mean, looking at the the performance against Villa, obviously we talked about the energy, we talked about the, this change in system. I mean, what else really stood out for you about that game? Well, maybe Emil Smith Rowe uh, once once again. He was again really fantastic. Although I'm still not a big fan of him, you know, putting his socks all the way down to his ankles. <laughs> Not a fan of that look, but I mean, he seemed like he was everywhere, which was obviously visible the best by he with his uh, goal. Their goal, uh, he scored. He intercepted. He ran all the way down and then scored. It was a lucky deflection, but still, he made it. Mm. He created his own his own luck, as they say. And I thought that he was really everywhere. Stephen highlighted that really well in in the tactical analysis. How he had much more space. Uh, because uh, of uh, Nuno Tavares and mm. the fact that he isn't going as much forward as Tierney is going forward. Well, it's not that so. he isn't going as forward as much. It's just that Tavares is such a physical <laughs> sense presence that he goes a bit later. Like Tierney has a, a, a higher starting position, doesn't he? You know, he's he's yeah. out on the left and he, and he goes forward 
quite early to, to be part of the build-up, whereas Tavares is, doesn't seem to want to be as involved in the build-up. He just wants to seize the chance and then wants to forward. Uh, so, and because and he's such an athlete, he, he can start that a little bit later, um, which which helped, I think, give Smith throw space. I think also Villa's formation helped with that a bit as well. Uh, you know, the, our formation change may have also been partly a way of combating the th- three at the back, which we've struggled with this season when opposition teams play it, and it gave us a bit more of a presence in their in their half. But also, as well as that. You know, Smithrow was just exploiting the space behind their wing back time and time and time and time again. Yeah, it was um, really great to see. On the other hand, uh, I think that Saka should have definitely used one of his chances. He he was there in the right spaces when it was needed and created uh, several chances. Was it three or four? Something like that. And then that that especially with that one one, obviously Martinez made me save with his legs. But you still think that if someone a much better striker sees that as a sitter and scores it and it's just you know general thing that we have been discussing here throughout this season that we have to use our chances a bit better well i mean that was again came from great play from Tavares and and and, and you know people sort of view Tavares quite rightly as being quite raw but that rawness for me is more in build-up and, and position it because anyone that saw him play at all for Benfica knows that he's always had a great ability to play crossfield passes or crosses you know including on the run and that was a, a perfect example of that and um you know as a classic situation where the, the man had more time than he thought in terms of Bukayo Saka, and he sort of tried to slightly rush a finish, it, presumably expecting not to be as free as he was, when he really could have taken a touch, put it on his left and and, and, and put a much more controlled finish in, in where he wanted. But, you know, again, he's someone that, I mean, unless we forget, <laughs> it's only a year ago, you think he first played on the right or something like that, or just a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, yeah, definitely. And there's still very much a, a work in progress for all his excellence to date. It's easy to forget, but him and and Spiritual as well, how young they really are, how how much experience they st- will still get and be even even better. Yeah, very much so. Um, and I think you know it's also a case of probably not helped by playing one position one week, one position the next, as we're trying to find a way, what's the balance between him and Pepe? What kind of midfield balance do we want to use? And and as we're still working that out, you know, changes in that are going to impact upon players. And I think Saka's also probably, he's still looking as though he's not 100% like firing. You know, he's still had, he's had some very good moments, but he's, he's not after the peak of his form at the moment. Um, you know, which is entirely fair enough, and and hopefully getting a bit of a rest last night will do him some good in that respect. Um, but yes, I have to also note that. Did you hear Jamie Carragher's comment that uh, Smithrow is the best player in the, in the division with the ball running at his running with the ball at his feet? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Slightly hyperbolic, but you know, <laughs> nice to say. I'm not sure I agree entirely, but um, it, it it shows that his directness and pace and, and willingness to go either way, you know, left or right with the ball at his feet is, is something which is rare. And it's something that we haven't had a lot at, at this club for a while, a player that can really transition the ball by carrying it um, uh, and do so effectively within different zones of the pitch. And, it, and in Smith, and Saka, they do it in very different ways, but they both have some of that ability, um, which 
which is ultimately why they they started the game ahead of Pepe, um, who is much more of an end product merchant. But what happens between the end product and everything else is a very different kettle of fish. Uh, yeah, that comment uh, you mentioned, it's it sounds to me like uh, hyping a player, young player, and, you know, maybe putting a bit too much pressure on him. I, I did like what Mikel Ateta said after the match about Mitro again, how great it was that he scored uh, again after the Spurs match and how great he looked. But then he's, he said he still has to work on several in several other places on, on the pitch and improve on some other things and I think that's a great approach to handling young player in development yeah yeah I mean you know Arteta's very much tries to keep their feet on the ground um, whilst also giving praise when he feels a player needs it I, I do think that his man management has really improved in the last maybe two months um, you know, he's he's got what he's saying in his press conferences and his post match. It seems better judged for me now in terms of knowing when to when to praise a player, when to criticise, um, how to connect with the fans a bit better. He seems to have just tweaked something what he's doing, and I think it's working better. Um, he was a bit kind of bit of a, a stern school teacher at times before in terms of the way he talked about things, and he's showing a little bit more warmth, which I think can only bode well. Um, and uh, particularly when, uh, as we saw against Leeds, you've got a, a team full of players who, the majority of which will not otherwise be playing very much this season. Um, and you've got to make sure that they still feel part of it. And, and obviously his post-match comments about Eddie Nketiah, uh, com- very much deserved, I thought, um, are part of that as well. You know, you've, you've got to make these players feel as though they're part of it, particularly, I guess, if you've got a young player whose contract's expiring at the end of the season and you might would like them to renew. Um, yeah. So, so moving on to the Leeds game, then, and we'll sort of, then we'll look at the bigger picture. Uh, well, I mean, you you commented on it uh, quite rightly, I think, about it being not quite as not quite as much fun as. Bad. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, just give me your thoughts on that first of all. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, when you watch the the Aston Villa match, especially the first half, as I as I mentioned already, the first half against Leeds didn't look nearly as, as good. It was, you know, it, it was very visible that there were nine changes made that these players haven't played uh, neither as much during this season nor together. So it was really something to expect. It was just, you know, slightly a bit under underwhelming after that really fantastic performance. But then again, I mean, in the second half, it looked a bit, a bit better. And Leads weren't that good either. I mean, no. For yeah, you expected a bit more from from the Elsa team. <laughs> yeah, you can see why Leeds are struggling a little bit this season, can't you? Um, just in terms of, I guess, just in just in terms of looking like a, a real threat. I mean, yes, they, they had a couple of players that they rested, but there wasn't there wasn't that much uh, in in terms of people who would definitely be starters absent, really. Um, you know, I can't imagine Tyler Roberts would start, start under normal circumstances or, or of course, the, the, the deputant Cody Dramar, but or Dramar, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce his name. But otherwise, it was quite close to their first team. Um, and, yeah, I didn't really feel worried at any point during the game. 
uh, you know, there was. That's a weird feeling. <laughs> well, there was a, like, I mean, it's partly because it's the AFL Cup, and therefore it's like, Meh, okay. But um, you know, the, I, I felt like the commentators were trying to make Leeds sound better than they were. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really feel. Yeah, they had a couple of places times when Dan James's pace got in, and yeah. but you know, we've seen that throughout his young career so far. He he gets into good positions, but the, the result is little uncertain when he gets there. Um, and That's Leno, Leno, sorry, go ahead. That's why he's not playing at the United. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, and we've seen that. Um, yeah, he. Uh, Leno is, is obviously still a very competent goalkeeper, even if his distribution may see him uh, getting less Premier League time at the moment. And which again we saw in this game, his distribution—he's just his distribution is not not a patch on Ramsdale's. But the other elements of his goal, you know, particularly shot stopping or rushing off his line, is is still great. Uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of great saves. Yeah, not so great on crosses, not so good on distributions, but um, generally uh, the other goalkeeping skills are very strong, which we've known for some time. Um, so yeah, I. I I didn't really. I felt Leeds could score at any time, but I, I didn't feel they would. You know how you watch some games and you feel like you're scared of the opposition. You're thinking, "Oh God, they're going to score in a minute." I didn't feel like that. I felt they might score, but it'll be a bit out of nothing. It'll either be a set piece or it'll be like a long ball over the top. What I didn't feel like they were creating anything sustained in any way or anything particularly threatening, and I felt that. Um, I felt there was just enough in the team from an Arsenal perspective to kind of prevent most of their more, more dangerous possibilities, even if it did make things a bit more difficult for us going forward, as you say, particularly in the first half. Um, I mean, looking at individuals, obviously this was a team where, uh, aside from Ben White, who had to go off with a stomach bug, and Emil Smith Rowe, it was uh, a lot of players that otherwise wouldn't be starting matches. Yeah. Who do you think uh, showed well, and who do you think showed why they're not starting? You know, who do you th- who do you think may have improved their chances of getting some game time, or or at least making sure they're the first taxi off the rank? I just thought that uh, Brad Leno was kind of both <laughs> with everything you have already said about him. Yeah, definitely. Like he did really great. Uh, had a couple of really great saves, and then you see. His ball distribution, as you mentioned, is nowhere near as good as Ramsdale, but still good to have him as a backup to show mm-hmm. Ramsdale can't relax and we can have a good backup there. Uh, other than that, I think that I don't think that Pepe showed enough to you know guarantee a starting place in the next Premier League match because we all know how he is. He really tried hard, but he fell over over the ball, you know, something something like that in the first half, and then it just wasn't going for me. It, it seemed like one of those those nights for him, and it seems like he has them a bit too often. Yes, for for my, <laughs> my liking, yeah. Um, oh, Maitland Miles did really well. As well. I was going to say on Pepe just before you move on to Maitland. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Is that it, it was a, it was such a typical Pepe performance in that. Uh, you know, his work rate's a lot better than it was when he first joined us. So that means he's no longer a passenger, which is good. But his ball retention, his decision-making, his ability to use the things that make him threatening were all off. And a bit like last season, the start of this season, that's been the case a number of times. But then you look at the stats at the end of the game and he 
gets an assist for the for the for the opening goal. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's Nicola Pepe, isn't it? It's a, you know it drives you crazy, but he he does have a, his output is good. It's just his overall game is terrible. <laughs> Yeah, there were several tweets going around. Look at Pepe is playing; he's not doing much. He will definitely score the winner or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like it's happening for him pretty much, like at least every third or fourth game that he plays. And in the those between that, he isn't that effective either. Mm. And I wouldn't say that he has the, let's say, excuse as some other players that he's not playing that often. He did get minutes. He did get chances in the Premier League, unlike, for example, um, El Neni or Maitland Niles or Eddie Nketiah. I mean, for mm-hmm. for crying out loud, Gabriel Martinelli as well. So he doesn't have that uh, excuse to use. So it's. I'm still not sure what to do with Pep. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. It is. What do you What do you do about someone called Pep? But he's um. It's that thing that means he still has some value as the squad, and it's it's interesting how a player has such poor decision making so often, but in certain kind of goal threatening moments, is it's like he it's like his brain slows down and gets calmer the more difficult the situation is in a way in terms of like in terms of in the opposition penalty area. But mm-hmm. and, and but the rest of the time, it's you have no idea what's going on. Um, you were talking you were talking about Maitland Niles, sorry. Yeah, 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 I think that he was really great in midfield that finally got to play in his so preferred position. <laughs> mm. And I think that he did really well. I've seen some people mentioning how he was a their man of the match and it says a lot uh, uh, about him as well. I think that he really brought something great and I still wouldn't you know, put him as a starter, obviously, but really a good option to have for, for that position as well. Yeah, I think he's shown that he's he's ahead of El Nini in, in in that respect at the moment. Um, That's true. Yeah, he, he certainly brings a, a lot more dynamism. His he, three or four occasions he won the ball in in advantageous situations. I mean, it's it, it's a again he's a player that's hard to kind of work out exactly what to do with or how to feel about because he does have these sloppy moments of concentration and we saw only a couple last night and they weren't that significant. And, and he does have moments of just technical oddities, but then he has other moments where he's doing exactly the same thing and it looks easy. Uh, And, and there are things that he can do and does do regularly, which kind of seem very simple to him, which actually quite a lot of our other players just can't do. You know, his acceleration, his, his athleticism, his ability to press opposition players or win the ball or just spin someone in midfield. You know, he, he, he generally kind of makes that kind of stuff look pretty simple. Um, and uh, you're, just, you're just hoping that he can find that little bit more consistency. But certainly, you compare it to Elneny's performance, obviously Elneny's got less minutes and what have you. But Elneny was... Very El Nini, you know, lots of lots of transit moving around the pitch, but without really ever looking like he was going to do anything particularly useful. Not doing anything particularly bad either, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's 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 the 
he's the plug that you put in just to fill a gap you know he's the the sticking plaster if you will um yeah it, it just again similar with pepper it, it, with him uh where do you put him what's the use of, of him do we keep him just as i said to put put him somewhere but when it's needed when it's last option or something like that but i don't know i'm going leaning more more towards to let's sell him or not even loan him let's sell him if it's possible uh because uh, really even when he does get a chance it's not something that really exciting or good to see and useful as you said yeah i think i think and then he's this will be his last season at arsenal um i mean you know he's he's been fine for us he's been pretty much as advertised you know an, an okay squad player who occasionally does interesting things but generally is just there to be solid on relatively cheap wages we keep on trying to send to Turkey. It keeps not happening. Um, so we'll probably end up going to Turkey on a free at the end of the season. And that's fine. He hasn't cost us a huge amount in terms of resources and he's been okay uh, for what he is. Um, but Maitland-Niles just offers, except for kind of maybe physical strength and aerial ability, Maitland-Niles just offers more in every other department. And yeah, he certainly showed um, some causes for optimism in that respect for his Arsenal future going forward. And, and of course, when Elneny went off and uh, Lukonga came on, someone on Twitter pointed out it was the, the most laid back central midfield partnership ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, we have to talk about Eddie Nketiah, who I, I think, uh, despite nearly missing that chance, somehow, tried really hard to miss. <laughs> really hard to miss, but um, I, I thought with with very little support, really, or very little effective support, I thought he had a, had a good game last night, both um, even in the first half when there wasn't much happening, he was trying to be a catalyst in a way that was more effective than some of his teammates. And there was two or three times he, he dropped deep and spun his man or, or played a perceptive layoff or a perceptive pass. And, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was a continued sign of what we saw in pre-season of a player that's a bit better than he was last year. And and learning how to use what he has to offer a little bit better. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, and even even with the goal, we joked about nearly nearly missing. I mean, it was really it looked like he missed kicked it a bit, and wasn't sure. But the the moves before the goal, it was just really great to see how he uh, got over the goalkeeper and those two, what was two or three touches before before uh, shooting at the goal. It was really. Great to see that. I think that he worked hard, really hard, got in some himself in good good positions. I wasn't really I didn't think that he, he would score. I also thought that it would be one of one of those nights <laughs> for him as well, but it seems it was more for Martinelli hmm. uh, than than for him. Uh but yeah, definitely something to look forward to and to, to use him in, in cup games. I'm I'm again not sure if he gets to play in in the Premier League maybe uh, later uh, as a striking uh, substitution but I'm still not you know convinced that I would put him on when we are chasing a result or need a goal or something like that yeah yeah he's um I get a feeling that he needs like two or three chances before scoring a goal yeah he's not a clinical finisher his 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 strength is and always has been the ability to get into situations where goals can be scored, uh, whether that be through clever movement or, as we saw last night, great work rate and closing down. Um, 
you know, it's, I mean, his, his League Cup record is great, you know, um, what was it, six goals in seven games or something like that. Yeah. And um, But it is notable that almost half the goals he scored for the Arsenal first team have been a bit like last night, right? <laughs> closing the opposition down and chasing Ross courses. And that's, you know, that's a great quality to have. Um, but what's going to define Eddie Nketiah's career, whether whether at Arsenal or elsewhere, and, you know, Arteta is making a bit of a play for him to stay, but we'll see, um, is that his finishing beyond that, you know, ultimately we know what he is as a player. He's never going to be an amazing kind of creative player. He's not going to be someone that beats multiple people or whatever, but, you know, he's, he's showing his all round game has grown and he's showing a greater consistency of work rate, which is ultimately going to, what gets him the chances. And then, and then, you know, can he just polish up his finishing? So it's a bit more reliable. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It's just got to be reliable. And that's what we're sort of waiting to see at the moment. And as we saw, you know, that last second, Last secondary, just about tucked the ball in, was nearly the perfect example, wasn't it? I mean, that was that was so nearly the egg on the face moment for the season, which would have been a real shame after you know basically everything else up to that point was him and him alone, you know, yeah. winning the header from the long goal kick out and, and chasing and chasing and and as you say, an absolutely brilliant touch to take it past the goalkeeper and set it down. Um, but yeah, I was pleased for him. Uh, he's a player I think could be an asset for this club if he can just as I say sharpen up that finishing a bit particularly if we're playing if we're playing a, a system which allows two more attacking players to be in greater support of each other that, that works in his favour um, which, whichever of those two he, he would be a better fit for he, he can bring a bit of either to the party um, but you did mention Gabriel Martinelli as a contrast um, what, what, do you, what, do you, what about Oh. Yeah, I had a similar feeling with him this season as with Lacazette did that I thought forget about him that he <laughs> exists. Uh, obviously, he had some issues uh, with fitness and injury, I think. Yeah, yeah. minor stuff, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, now I, I was always kind of expecting him to come on in Premier League in, in later stages in the match. Uh, he, again, worked really hard uh, against, against Leeds and it was really visible, but he, I can't remember if he had a shot or not, which is what you would expect from a, yeah, from a striker. Well, nothing really consequence. Yeah. No. I mean, of course, there was the one point where the ball was coming across the box and it would have gone straight to Martinelli. Uh, I think it was in Ketchup, floated it to the back post, someone headed it back across or, or got it back across, I think. And uh, Pepe got in the way and tried to let, uh, took a terrible touch and ended up laying it back to someone else. And if Pepe hadn't been there and fallen <laughs> Martinelli about eight yards out, I mean, with defenders in the way, so it wouldn't have been a gimme or anything. But um... Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> but chaos agent, yeah. But Martinelli seems to, he seems to be almost trying a bit too hard to make stuff happen and not quite fitting into the what, what else was going around him, I thought. Um, which you know is understandable if that's the case, but it's something you've got to watch out for because that's going to limit his effectiveness, particularly in the team, which is very system orientated, I guess, in the way that Arteta likes to likes to coach. Um, but he will get more chances, and it's up to him to to do slightly better with them going forward. Uh, I, I think he's a player that kind of elevates slightly with when he's with better quality teammates as well. I think I think he sort of raises his game slightly to the quality of both the opposition and his teammates. So, or at least that's what I hope is the case. <laughs> um, 
elsewhere. Uh, Kalasnach is still here. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, you keep for- forgetting about him. Think, oh, he's here alone somewhere. Even maybe we sold him and uh, forgot about it, but then he appears and plays there. I mean, he didn't do much wrong. No. He almost scored in the first half. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, but it was more just... as El Neni, huh? Well, and, and to a degree, Cedric Suarez, you know, <laughs> they're there, they're guys who are there, <laughs> and that's nice for them. Cedric Suarez was the best top rated on the Fortnite ratings uh, uh, maybe that was due to his uh, crossing from wide positions because he didn't do and, um, and you know a couple of nice interceptions in the se- second half he was he was decent actually first half I thought he was poor but mm. he did put in some great crosses uh, although one of his, cor- his first corner went straight out of play of course but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean they're guys who are there who are perfectly decent Premier League footballers but not top echelons of the Premier League. And you can't play the way we played against Aston Villa with more than one or two of the players that we had in that team, in the team, you know, ultimately. You know, I thought Rob Holding was pretty good and was being more adventurous on the ball, which is good to see. But, you know, he's not as good as uh, White or Gabriel. Chambers got a goal, which I thought was lovely. Um... And I've always thought that Chambers is, 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 a, is a decent threat from set pieces. But, you know, again, we saw him on the ball. He's not nearly at the same level. Um, and you can kind of go, go through the team and say that, really. You know, obviously the younger players are ones you, you hope they can improve. Or you get players like Pepe and Maitland-Niles who show enough to think if only you could find a way to get that without having that. Um, so you kind of persevere with them. But... It just shows that even though even though we don't have as greater aspirations as we have before, we don't have European football, our ability to develop this team is really dependent on the players we want in the team staying fit. And how and the one thing that really struck me actually watching it last night and in the context of the Aston Villa game was um, what a mess the combination of. Uh, the final year of Wenger and the Emery period left Arteta with in terms of the squad. There was just like too many players who are just meh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and still not sure what to do with them. And we can't easily offload them. We can't really fit them in this team. It's really weird. That's why I, I, I as you mentioned before, I tweeted how I'm kind of glad that we are not playing in Europe this season because I think that it would be really really tough you know to have Premier League players the team that for, for example played against Villa to have play uh, Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday all the time you know that there would be definitely some injuries fatigue and everything like that and then you see the the backup players that played against Leeds and the previous uh, League Cup games it's just not on the same same level and it's tough to create two like to not even completely different uh, starting 11s, but combinations as well. It's really hard to see how... I think it's a, it's a kind of... A, might be a blessing, blessing in disguise to, you know, be out of Europe this season and let Mikkel uh, put the team together, perhaps. Because, I mean, even... But I, I was reading an article today how 
how much our uh, defensive stats changed since August to not till till now. Mm. It's just uh, you know obviously those those were uh, really tough matches against Chelsea and City and newly promoted side, but still we faced. I think it was the article said twenty shots in August and then twenty in September and October together. Yeah, yeah. And what changed the? personnel in the defense we yeah. signed Tomiyasu Ben White started playing uh, on a regular basis we signed Ramsdale and, yeah, and also, and, and also that we had you know during the better run we had a better quality of uh, a player higher up the pitch so the opposition had to be a bit more worried about us and we could we could they had slightly more defensive solidity in midfield you know against against uh, City and Chelsea you know, because of the players either we had missing or they were half fit. And then obviously when Grash and Jack got sent off, the opposition could just come at us because they didn't have to worry about what we had going the other way. You know, I mean, yeah. the Brentford game was a bit of an outlier because if you actually look at everything but the goals, uh, you know, it felt like we were terrible and Brentford were great. But actually, you look at the chances, the, X- or the positions in the XG, we could have easily have got a draw or won that game, actually. Um, but, um, you know, Brentford are a a team that, that that plays on that edge anyway. You see it in a lot of their games. Um, but yeah, it's City and Chelsea. I mean, they're two teams you don't want to be playing with weakened squads and that's <laughs> and that's what we had to do. Um, I mean, looking forward, we've got Leicester City this weekend, an early yeah. kickoff on a Saturday. Woohoo. Um, they seem to have just rediscovered who they are annoyingly in the last fortnight. Um, it always happens like that, right? I mean, actually, you know, Leicester are one of the teams we've got a decent record against, actually, particularly at, at their ground um, compared to, you know, given how good they've been in recent seasons. And let's not forget, we won there last year with surprisingly good displays from both Pepe and Willian, which I suspect we won't, well, we definitely can't rely on one this season. And the other one, I suspect, is, is still in his first half of the season form. What a throwback to Willian. So I mean, how do you how do you see that one playing out, and, and what sort of lineup do you think we'll put out for that? Uh, well, depending on, I I really hope that Ben White will be okay because I thought the, the White and Gabriel partnership really looks great in in defense. Mm. Uh, I'm not that I was a bit more you know facing them without Tierney, but after that Tavares performance against Aston Villa, really not worried about that uh, anymore. I would be okay if we have the same lineup as against uh, against Will. I wouldn't mind it at all because I think that it looked good. I don't see a need to change much, change anything uh, right now, and unless there are some some injuries, uh, everything can happen in, in those two, day, two yeah. days in training and the bug that seems to be going around. Who knows what will happen? But I would be really okay with with that kind of lineup again. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I, I don't. This isn't to say anything against Erdegaard, and and I think there are a lot of games coming up which he'll be a much better fit for. But I just think the way that Villa play, and uh, not Villa, sorry, Leicester play, that that you know that that they're obviously a huge threat going forwards, and we're not going to be, and they're going to offer a lot more going forwards than Aston Villa did. You know, in terms of directness, and in terms of pacing behind, and and clever passing. You know, let's not forget Villa have sold their best player, whereas Leicester have strengthened their squad. Um, but I also think that Leicester's defence is vulnerable and they can be got at through their midfield as well. So, you know, we, 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 it's worth, there's 
worth taking the risk reward approach. I think for Arsenal in that game, um, I think Erdegaard will be more useful in games where we're going to need to have a bit more control. You know, uh, you know, I mean, that's what he brings. He, you know, slower tempo, but a lot more control, a lot more technical security, um, and just allow us to play a, a, a game that doesn't rely on us being 100 miles an hour. Um, I think it's going to be a really tough one to call. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd be happy with a draw. Uh, um, I think Leicester have rediscovered some of what they've sort of temporarily lost earlier in the season. Uh, and I think both teams will score. I mean, that's my, that's my instinct. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, a draw would, I think, would be perfectly decent. Okay, result to take, take home from there. Obviously, a win is always fantastic, but, you know... Yeah, I think it would be good and it would keep the momentum going. Just yeah, hope we, we want to lose. Yeah, because in terms of points, I mean, Jesus, the opposition has been weak. But in terms of points, since since we since our season actually started, uh, <laughs> we're definitely uh, to, you know at the higher end of the table in that respect. And while we haven't had the most difficult opponents, you know, any time you can build an unbeaten run or even look back on an unbeaten run, the longer that run is, the more the more it makes you feel you can believe in what you're trying to do and actually you know the top three look far and away but there's going to be such a bunch for everyone else there's going to be it's going to be like eight or nine teams fighting for places four to four to eight um very hard to call uh who who they might be i mean spurs seem like a curate's egg at the moment uh west ham actually seem a better team than spurs at the moment um and, and more consistent and of course i couldn't let this podcast pass without mentioning uh your your dear husband's team <laughs> and yeah. how they might not be quite as nailed on for top four as people were thinking <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was really a, it was really a great weekend overall for, for us. <laughs> it was really lovely on, on the Friday and then the, everything else. I mean, it was just great. And the, the cherry on top, the loss, United lost to Liverpool. When there were jokes on Twitter, how we want like eight or nine to go mm. above above United, yeah. But Klopp said, "Oh, take it easy, guys." Like, yeah, yeah, they did. They barely tried in the second half. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was really, really fun to fun to watch. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, he actually watched with me, which is, uh, for for example, the Atalanta match match they played uh, uh, during the week, and it was two 0 at halftime. Yeah, I think so. yeah, and he was like, "No, no I'm go. I, I, I'm off to play FIFA." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this was really, really fun to watch. And I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen there was a, this video going around on Twitter and on other social media. A ten-year-old girl was analyzing the United loss to Liverpool. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't seen. She's, that. She's a, she was a United fan, and she she said all the right things i mean it was really fantastic fantastic to watch and i just loved her point and thought yeah that's definitely how it looked like how uh, she said that defenders like maguire and shaw saw everyone up in front of them players like ronaldo and sancho on the bench and everything everyone that was signed and brought in and thought yeah we don't have to work that hard anymore so we will let them play and we will let them you know settle sort out uh, all the wins all the results and yeah i mean it was it's just really fantastic to watch maguire these days 
Well, I mean, he, <laughs> a, a bit, a bit like uh, a bit like defenders that we have known and loved, or not the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Maguire's a good player, but he needs to be used in the right way. Uh, you know, he's he's not a fit everything unicorn. He's a you know he's got you've got to set up in a certain way for it to work for him, and United aren't doing that. They're you know they're leaving him far too exposed. You know. Um, Lindelof is an okay player, but not a great. Not, not you know, not going to say as a top Premier League player. Uh, Shaw's very good going forward. Now he's refound his confidence defensively. He's never been that solid. Um, you know, I don't mean he's bad defensively, but but he's not. He's not a. You wouldn't say the defensive side of his game is a strength. Wambasak on the other side is the opposite. Defensively, very good as a fullback, but doesn't bring a lot. Uh, progressing the ball, or, or certainly in terms of any sort of end product, but the problem is just there. Still, it's their midfield. I mean, we were talking about Arsenal's midfield, but you know, <laughs> Man United's midfield. Well, I mean, what is it? You've, you've you've got Paul Pogba, who's just so fucked off with the way that they've totally misused him. Three years, he's mentally checked out. Yeah, uh, he doesn't even get to start anymore. Yeah, well, they did. They didn't perform much better with him starting, and you know, it's not to say that Pogba isn't without blame and isn't a flawed player. Of course, he is, but. You know, you, uh, you can guarantee if he went back to Juventus under Allegri, he'd, he'd look pretty brilliant, pretty sharpish once again because they they knew what to do with him. You know, you play him in a central role where you don't really doesn't have too much defensive responsibility. You tell him your job is to progress the ball, play killer passes. You're relatively free to go, you know, where you want to go, and just use your physical gifts. And and we're not going to worry about you trying to win the ball, or mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you can make tackles, but you know it's it's not going to. The team is not relying on you to do that, and so he doesn't make stupid tackles. And if he, if he doesn't track runners, it doesn't matter so much. Um, United are sort of desperate to play him in this four four two, and and they seem to finally be realising that Bruno Fernandez is not the answer to everything. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he's still their perhaps best player. Well, he's their best provider of moments in a way um, <laughs> and, and then you know Ronaldo is obviously a fantastic player but he doesn't apart from being more a more reliable than Cavani you know he doesn't really solve any of their problems no. because that's not where their problems were you know I mean defensive and, and, midfielder yeah and Ronaldo and as Scholes was saying when I'm telling you know Ronaldo likes Ronaldo Rashford and Greenwood the great players but they're not going to press so if you're playing pressing football with those up front and then with the midfielders you know you've got to work out what you want to be and if you're playing with Tomini and Fred you're, you're being a combative team that wants to win the ball and transition quickly okay but then but then who once one of those guys wins the ball who's playing the transition pass you know you've, you're relying on them getting it to Fernandez who's the only player that can actually play a pass. And Fernandez is a bit of a Hollywood ball merchant. He can do brilliant things, but he's not a consistent progressor of possession in the way that others might be. And then you've got, yeah, you just look at the rate. And, and they're buying Jaden Sancho for 80 million and then, you know, or 90 million, whatever it is. They don't even yeah. know what they want to do with him. You know, they bought him to, oh, we need a right winger. Okay, well, we'll, we'll buy this guy who's barely played on the right in his career. Uh, when we've already got our best young player playing in that position. Yeah, it's just just very, very odd. I don't want Solskjaer to do too badly, and I was slightly worried about Liverpool scoring too many goals, because otherwise they might go and hire Conte. 
yeah, Ole is doing really a great job. I mean, we want him to stay. <laughs> although, although my husband is convinced that he will still be around for, for a while, that they won't sack him, as we have seen this week. There was so much talk about him. I mean, I, I really wasn't uh, that into the Gary Neville comment, how people are attacking him for defending Ole because uh, Ole won then Champions League and all that. It it doesn't matter what he has done as a player if he's not doing anything good as a manager. It shouldn't be connected to it. Well, the very yeah, I mean, the very fact that Arsenal fans are calling for him to be given more time, and Liverpool fans are seeing Ollie's at the wheel, uh, tells you all you need to know. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, not much else to talk about except uh, Beth Mead tearing it up for England women, um, a hat trick uh, off the bench in the first game of the double header, and then another goal last night. Uh, good stuff for her. Uh, obviously, we've made Mars scored for Holland. Shock horror. <laughs> um, <laughs> some of the age groups, uh, slightly less positive results for, for the Arsenal team. Those uh, winning runs have, have uh, well, come to an end, essentially. Or, you know, um, so they're not quite as dominant. But it, interestingly, that uh, for the League Cup last night, um, Salah Adin was on the bench for the first time after the great form for the 23s. So that's good for him to have that experience. Um, and uh, yeah, it's quite interesting seeing uh, Genduzi uh, doing doing so well in France, uh, even though Saliba's had a little bit of inconsistency in what he, he's experienced. Um, so just on the age groups, I just want to be clear, sorry, the under 18 has lost to Leicester uh, with Marcelo Flores uh, getting, getting uh, Arsenal's golden 2-1 defeat. But the actual uh, the under twenty threes were back to winning ways with a four nil victory um, goals from Balogun, the aforementioned Saladin, Eliasu, and Zach Swanson, who somehow keeps coming back and scoring for the under twenty threes from his is he a fullback is he a midfielder is he still at the club oh my god um, so <laughs> good for him um, I don't think as anyone thinks he's really going to reach Arsenal's level but good for him if he can use the opportunity to build a career somewhere else and and hopefully earn some some small transfer fee for Arsenal at some point. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Yes, I wanted to mention that you didn't talk about referee at all this podcast and well done. <laughs> oh, I did on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting at least a mention the, from, the, from the Villa match, the, the penalty and everything, but well, yeah, it's... Uh... I, I mean, I did say at the time that, you know, Craig Pawson is... It, it, is neither my favourite or my least favourite referee in the Premier League. He's, I wouldn't put him in my top five and I wouldn't put him in my bottom five. But yeah, he he was determined to give us absolutely nothing, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> throughout, throughout the match, there were so many poor decisions in, in, in Villa's favour and, and the penalty uh, being being uh, just another one amongst several. In, and, and what was like really obvious as well. Um Started well. I mean, it was yellow cards in first what five minutes or so for for Villa. Yeah, but then he kept them in his pocket for a good while after. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't wasn't quite wasn't quite the Mike Dean special, but it was it was a pretty weak refereeing performance. And again, and against Leeds last night, was it Andre Mariner? Uh, I think I think it was Andre Mariner. I apologise to Andre Mariner if it wasn't, but <laughs> my my sort of comment during the match was is just. 
just not a very good referee. And I'm not saying that because he's done anything to Arsenal, because I think he's been crap for both teams. Like, uh, you know, there, there was a couple of decisions I was peed off from an Arsenal perspective, and then there was a couple of decisions that didn't go against us. I was kind of like, Leeds should be pissed off about that. <laughs> and Bielsa was losing his rag on the touchline about it. Um, yeah, it's... It's not that refereeing this play yeah, it's 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 really. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you, you cannot expect perfection. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do refereeing. Um, you know, I've only had one go to it when I was a kid, and I wouldn't do it again. Um, but the question mark is, what are we doing to help it get better? Um, and at the moment, we're giving them access to technology to correct things when they get things wrong. But the, it suggests that there is an absence in some aspect of the training or support they're given that for all the professionalism and, af- and increased athleticism, the, the quality of decision-making doesn't seem to be significantly improving uh, over the last decade or so, or 20 years. And whether that's the anecdotal perception of football fans who are prone to bias or, or something more meaningful is, is hard to be certain about, but um, it just seems to be so many quite simple errors as well. In, you know, there are, there are some things which are just judgment calls and you can't really argue with those too much. They happen, they, if they happen against you, you're pissed off. But there are just too many instances where they're not applying the rules or laws, should I say, either correctly or, or equitably or the same as each other. Um, so even if they reach the decision, the decision-making is the bit that, you know, ma- making a decision about what's actually happened, mm-hmm. I can understand how that gets wrong because it's difficult, it's in real time. Yeah. But, uh, and, that's what, and that's why the AR is there. That's what that's for. But for them to then, for there still to be such a paucity in making the correct, giving the correct sanction or interpreting what something means when they've actually made a decision about what's happened, that for me needs more work. But, um, you know, we can talk about this until we're blue in the face. It doesn't seem to be changing. No. And, uh, and it seems we're stuck with the same pool of referees year after year after year, even though they're, they're not proving themselves to be elite level globally or anything. Um, we need some fresh blood that hopefully has a, has a little more, uh, a little more uh, ability to operate within the modern Premier League rather than operating as if it's 15 years ago, which quite a lot of them seem to do. Understandably, because they've been refereeing a long time and it's quite hard to keep adjusting the way you view things over a period of 30 years. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of the problem in itself. We've got too many top-tier referees who've just been refereeing at this level for far too long without necessarily being challenged enough. But anyway, that's all I will say on that. <laughs> Had to mention that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Give me <laughs> enough rope. your thing. <laughs> Give me enough rope, Anita. And I'll... <laughs> okay. All right, then. Well, if, if that's all from you, then yeah. we'll call it a day. Uh, thank you, listeners, for getting this far, if you have. We always appreciate the fact that you're here, making our lives seem slightly more relevant as we talk into the ether. Uh of course, as always, if you've got anything you'd like us to dig into or you've got any questions you want to ask us, please do get in touch at Daily Cannon on Twitter. Of course, check out uh, on the Daily Cannon YouTube channel, check out Stephen's post-match analysis videos uh, if you want to dive a little bit deeper than we do on here. Um, and, yeah, we would hope to hear from you at some stage and we'll speak to you next week. So have a great week, everyone. And thank you, Anita, as always, for joining me uh, in this endeavour. Hope the upcoming weekend is as as good as the last one. Fingers crossed. (laughs) All right, well, have a great week, everyone. Look after yourselves and we'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.